Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This will be episode number 32. Really getting up there. So you can find us on the web if you look for www.scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms if you look for the user at Scary Savannah. We do have a monthly merchandise giveaway that if you just stay tuned to the end of the episode, we'll tell you exactly how to enter in to win a t-shirt. And we have a winner for May. We do, in fact, have a winner for our May giveaway. So our winner for our May merchandise giveaway is... Christy Bell. So, Crystal, how have you been this week? I've been really good. We had a good weekend. We finally got out of the house, out of podcasting, and went to the sandbar for the first time in a little while. It's been a minute. We had some actually really good food. Sandbars, good food. Well, yeah. They got good food. I was surprised at how good it Thanks, was. Thanks, Jacob. Yes, Jacob did a fine and job. Holland is always an awesome bartender. Yes, Holland and Jacob. We really enjoy their services. They make good food and drinks. Mm-hmm. And we also ran into some friends. Surprise, surprise. And we played a little pinball. Turns out I'm a pinball wizard. Who knew? Yeah, and I beat her. No, you didn't. You kept complaining like every time I would hit the button one time. Oh, like, yeah, it gives you a skill points. shot of six million for nothing. But it's like, like you can't stop the beast, baby. I'm the <laughs> pinball wizard from back in the day. I never played it back in the no. day, but I just wanted to say that because it sounded cool. And it's like I've never played it either, but we were like dominating these people. Except they for take James, it seriously. Of course. James well, yeah, is awesome. James. James beats us. He and, plays all the time. Yeah, James is on one of our previous episodes. Yeah. He told us about making Georgia. And we played a little giant Jenga at the sandbar. and Which won, I also won. But I managed not to injure myself like I did when we played at home. Then you got to so. ask yourself, did you really even play Jenga if you didn't hurt yourself? I know. I know. I, I did almost catch a guy on fire, though. I not a guy. A warlock. Yeah, a warlock. I don't know how it happened. It's, it's And how crazy. did we know he was a warlock? He was wearing a witch's hat. And not a witch's hat like you'd get in a Halloween costume. No, it was like a real one like you would wear if you were a warlock. Maybe but we should have talked to that guy. We should have. And it How just, did we miss that opportunity? It was opportunity? just not unusual because it's Tybee, so nothing <laughs> well, is surprising. It, nothing is surprising. Like, like, we literally have our own pirate, yeah. so now we have our own warlock. We actually apparently have two pirates. You remember when we were on the beach the other day yeah, and this I other got a pirate of just him. came strolling down like Jack Sparrow yeah. down the beach? Yeah, and I, I took like, a picture of him. Wow, it's Jack Sparrow. Except if he let himself go. He he did put on a little weight, yeah. <laughs> but he still had the moves. Yeah, yeah, he still looked cool. So last week we were in Savannah talking about Prohibition. This week we're going to continue with the alcohol theme, one of my favorites, but we're going all the way to Golden, Colorado to talk about the Coors family. Coors beer is a household name and a staple among college students, but most people don't know that there's a true crime story associated with the famous name, as well as a little paranormal. Who knew? Which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. So this story has everything. Alcohol, Germans, kidnapping, murder, even ghosts. This story has everything. Although I'm personally not a huge fan of Coors beer. I'm more of a Corona premier girl. That you are. If I'm drinking beer. Usually I'm drinking vodka or whiskey. But on the beach, it's usually Corona Premier or Michelob Ultra, both low carb, as you know. Are we aiming and angling for alcohol sponsors or something these last two weeks? (laughs) Corona Premier or Michelob Ultra, reach out. We just tell them we live on Tabi Island and they'll be like, yeah, well, here you go. (laughs) 
Coors is certainly one of the most successful beer dynasties in America, though. One of the most well-known, for sure. Yeah. Probably right behind Budweiser, I would think. Mm -hmm. Started in 1873 by German immigrant Adolf Coors, originally spelled K-U-H-R-S, but Americanized to the C-O-O-R-S we're all familiar with today. That would have actually been sort of cool to be spelled K-U-H-R-S. Yeah, but at the time, they wanted to uh, distance themselves from Germany. Yeah, maybe. But think of how cool Coors would be if it's spelled like that, because then you'd have to say it like an angry German. You'd be like, Coors! Yeah. (laughs) Adolf Hermann Joseph Coors was born in Prussia in 1847. That sounds like a place where there'd be a lot of vampires. After being orphaned at a young age, Adolf became an apprentice at the Winker Brewing Company. He dreamed of a life in America, and in 1868, he stowed away on a ship bound for America. He was discovered by the captain of the ship, but he was allowed to stay on board in exchange for working on the ship to pay his way. After arriving in America, Adolf worked in New York and Chicago as a laborer and fireman before making his way to Denver, Colorado. At this point, he had changed the spelling of his last name, like I mentioned earlier, to the American C-O-O-R-S. Course. He still had big dreams, and in 1873, along with a partner, Joseph Schuler. He set up in an abandoned Golden City Tannery in Golden, Colorado, which is just 15 miles from Denver, and started the Golden Brewery. I think they still have that on their cans, actually, mm. the Golden Brewery Company. They might, because it's been uh, it's changed since then, for sure. They're probably not a family-owned company anymore. None no. of these businesses are. No, it's turned over to other people now. Golden, Colorado is a picturesque city nestled in the beautiful Colorado Rockies. We actually just watched the Braves beat the Beautiful Rockies except for the baseball in their team, latest baby. series. Hashtag for the A. <laughs> the t- oh, wait, we actually have several fa- oh, fans that listen in the Denver, Colorado oh. area. Well, hashtag for the A. I'm sorry they swept you. Well, I'm pulling for the Rockies as long as they're not playing the Braves. Okay, we'll go and for that. that. That'll work. The town still maintains its small town feel even today. A large banner stretches over Main Street and reads, No. Let you read it. You're going to let me read it? Yeah, I'm going to let you read it. Because I make you so angry when I say this all the time. No, no, this is your moment. It is my moment. I wrote this for you. It's literally what I've lived for. Yes, I wrote this for you. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Golden, where the West lives. Perfect. Adolf believed that the key to a great beer was the water. And what better source of great water than the streams in the Rocky Mountains? They do make a big deal of the water because we actually visited the Jack Daniels Distillery Mm -hmm. and you go over and there's this big cave that Mm -hmm. they take you to that you can actually walk into where they get the water from where they make the Jack Daniels. And and they've done that forever. That's the reason because I think it's got natural limestone or something in there that filters the water and that's what makes it so usable for alcohol. Fun fact, the Jack Daniels Distillery is located in a dry Dry county. county. Isn't that that funny? It is funny. You couldn't even buy it. You can't, but you can. Somehow we were able to buy alcohol there and we got to sample it. Remember? We got to sample it, but you can't buy it. They had a store. They must have had some special dispensation. Yeah, they have like some sort of way of getting around it. I don't know what it is, but I remember that. But still Bon Jovi song. Yeah, I love that song. Adolf was ambitious and it paid off. The brewery took off and within a few years, Adolf bought out his partner's share of the company and renamed the Golden Brewery to Coors Brewery. And the rest is history, which I'm going to tell you about now. I was hoping you would. (laughs) Adolf Sr. married Louisa Weber and they had eight children with six of them surviving infancy. Three boys and three girls. The oldest son was named Aptly 
Adolf Hermann Joseph Coors II, and he was born in 1884. Right around the time Savannah was burning down. Yeah. But that could have literally been any year. (laughs) Along with his two brothers, Adolf II attended the prestigious Cornell University. He was highly intelligent and became an accomplished chemist. He took over running the brewery along with his two brothers. But remember last week when we talked about prohibition? How could I forget? Well, if you have a very successful brewery, you're probably not on the dry side. No, I would think not. When the Volstead Act prevented the manufacture of alcohol nationwide, the crafty Adolf Sr. found a way to keep his business going. They proceeded to manufacture malted milk, which was apparently very similar to the beer brewing process. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. The only malted thing I could think of are those little chocolate candies. They used malt it balls. to sell to the candy industry. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so they were able, like, I guess they used so it in the different. the shoes on the other foot. Different uh, manufacturing of candies. So it served some purpose. And at the end of this process, the alcohol is removed from the product. And then they sold it to pharmacies for the medicinal uses. Oh, yes. The medicinal prohibition uses. Mm-hmm. They also manufactured porcelain products, which continued even after Prohibition. They were quite successful with this. They even like had an offshoot of the company after this that did um It course, seems like we passed something like that in a, in a thrift store one time. I think we time. did, but that's the reason. It was during the uh, Prohibition they had to branch out. It's probably extremely valuable stuff that we threw away. Probably. We could have been rich. Who knew? Adolf Sr. died in 1929 before Prohibition was lifted, but we'll talk about his death a little later. So Adolf died when my grandmother was nine years old. Mm-hmm. This is Adolf Sr. There's a lot of them, so you got to keep tracks. So okay. Keep with me here. As soon as Prohibition ended in 1933, Coors resumed brewing beer under the leadership of Adolf II and his brothers, and the family fortune continued to grow. Business was booming. However, in 1934, a man named Paul Robert Lane, a former state prohibition agent for the state of Colorado, along with a couple other men, conspired to kidnap Adolf Coors II for ransom. Oh, no. This is what turns into a made-for-TV movie. He wanted $50,000, which in today's money is close to $1 million. I was about to joke about that. I was like, we want <laughs> $50,000. No, wait, it's a million dollars. Well, you could see how I'd mix those two numbers up. Mm -hmm. This would-be kidnapper had his hand in an auto theft ring as well. And while police were looking into his various nefarious activities, they learned of the kidnapping plot. Doesn't sound like a very smart man. No. So Adolf Kors II was willing to be kidnapped in order for the police to trap the kidnappers. Like he's like, yeah, like oh, this dude must have been hardcore. Oh yeah, wait till you see his picture. I've got pictures. Okay, he's really cool. But the police foiled the kidnapping plot when they arrested Paul Robert Lane for the auto theft charges. So of course, he also sounds like he could have been a guitarist for like Led Zeppelin. He does, but he wasn't. He was a car thief. Yeah, and a potential kidnapper. Yeah. Luckily, you know, Adolf was fine. Now, Adolf Kors II had married a woman named Mary Kistler, and the couple had four children. The oldest son, of course, was named Adolf Herman Joseph Kors III. Just like our oldest. You know you're somebody when you have a three after your name. Now, a lot of people are juniors. and like, but how many I should people, have been a junior. You should have. But how many people do you know that are thirds? I don't know of any. This is how Personally. you know you've made it, though, like, I think. Like, Could explain you, why I don't know any. Right. So, Adolf III, who everyone affectionately called Ad, was born in 1915 
and attended a very swanky boarding school in New Hampshire called the Phillips Exeter Academy. It was highly exclusive. I wouldn't have expected anything less. Exactly. He went on to graduate from Cornell University like his father. He was also the president of the Quill and Dagger, which is the most prestigious of honor societies. He was also a semi-professional baseball player and an avid skier. So this Adolf III is very much an overachiever. Always in the Illuminati. He's going places, yes. Like George Bush. For sure. Because you know George Bush played minor league baseball or something too. The junior one that Mm -hmm. was the president. And he was in that. Skull and crossbones nonsense. Yeah, that's that's. And I'm assuming this is a similar organization. So they're just all this Illuminati. one is the highest of. Oh, them, this though. is even more Illuminati. Yes, this is like fifty second degree. And he's the Mason. president of this. Oh, okay. So he's definitely up there. He went on to marry a woman named Mary Grant in 1940, and the couple had four children. Ad became CEO and chairman of the board of Coors Brewery. Fun little fact about Ad Coors: he was allergic to beer. Imagine being the heir to a brewery and being allergic. That would suck. It sort of reminds me of the way that you would make these elaborate cakes. I know, and I don't eat cake. And you weren't allergic to them. You just didn't like cake. I don't eat cake. She hates cake, but you should see some of the cakes she used to make. Before it was even popular yeah. to make these elaborate structures, she would be making six-tier cakes for our kids' yeah. birthday parties. We should find some of those pictures and just post them so people can yeah, see how crazy, crazy you are. Yeah, I was crazy, and I never ate any of it. Not even one bit. Mm-mm. And she used fondant to make it. And if you've never had fondant before, it's basically marshmallow. Well, if you buy fondant in the store, it's nasty. But we made it ourselves, and it was uh, melted marshmallow and powdered sugar. Oh. Most people delicious. don't like fondant. It just looks good. Yeah, but the fondant it doesn't taste that you buy good. in the store doesn't taste good. Anyway, what Ad really loved was being home on his ranch with his family and his horses. Now, the couple seemed to have a very happy relationship, and his children adored him. As a busy CEO of a successful company, he was a very busy man. It's now February of 1960, and Ad had just returned from a trip to Miami. He had a busy Tuesday ahead filled with meetings and phone calls, but he spent the night of February the 8th having a quiet, relaxing dinner with his wife and four young children. Ad's father, Adolf II, remember him? I do. And his mother were vacationing in Hawaii at the time. Unknown to the family, nearby, a man was loading up his car with camping gear, handcuffs, leg irons, a rifle, and a pistol. Not suspicious at all. I was waiting for you to say bleach, (laughs) plastic tarp, and duct tape. Murder kit. And a shovel. (laughs) This man had been watching Ad Coors from afar for nearly two years. He was finally ready to put his plan into action. The following morning, February 9th, 1960, 44-year-old Ad woke up early as usual, around 5.30, followed his normal workout routine. Wish I could do that. Like, I am so not You can't even get up before 9 o'clock. That's my wake-up. Like, if I'm up at 9, that's early. He had breakfast with his wife, fed his horses, then set out for work at the brewery in his international travel-all station wagon. This car is so cool. Is that the blue car? Yes, it's the blue and white. Cool. It's very pretty. We're going to put a picture of it. And he started out on his 12-mile trip to work. His normal route to work would have been on a highway, but it had been closed for a couple of weeks for construction, so he was forced to drive through an isolated mountain road. As Ad traveled on listening to the radio, he came to Turkey Creek Bridge, a small rickety wooden bridge that's only wide enough for one car to pass at a time. So basically think about Beetlejuice, seeing where the Maitlands go across that bridge. 
Nothing like this Nothing at like all. That Not it, even remotely like this, but picture that. Mm-mm. It didn't have a cover of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't picture that, people. As Ad drove onto the bridge, another car was seemingly broken down in his path. The other driver had his door open and the hood up. Ad got out of his car and approached the driver to offer assistance. Of course, he has to be a good guy. Yeah, well, it's 1960. You just, you know, you help your neighbor. He left his engine running and the radio playing. The driver of the other car, which was a canary yellow Mercury sedan. So this driver appeared from under the hood, aiming a gun at Adcors. He told him to get in the back seat and put the handcuffs on. But Adcors was not the sort of man to take orders. He was used to giving them. Realizing the man with the gun was about the same size as himself, he figured he could take the chance to overpower him. Never go to a secondary location. Well, in this case, he probably should have. Oh, Mm. Except Unless, for the cases except for where you case. should do that. Both men were over six feet tall and approximately 185 pounds, and a struggle ensued. At some point, Ad made a run for his car to try to escape the kidnapper, but the man with the gun aimed and fired two shots into his back. Well, that's bad. He must have made it back to his car because a blood stain was found on the front seat. Panicking, the gunman dragged the body of Ad Kors into his own vehicle and sped away. His kidnapping plot foiled. A few hours later, a milkman approached the bridge on his delivery route. He observed the abandoned car of Adcor still parked on the bridge. He beeped his horn impatiently because people needed their milk. Need my dairy products. When no one emerged from the car, the milkman went over and moved the car himself, noting later to the police that the engine was already running and the radio was playing. Sure, I noticed the blood, but I got milk to deliver. (laughs) He continued with his deliveries and then notified the police. On the morning of Wednesday, February 10th, The citizens of Golden, Colorado, awoke to the headlines on the front page of the Rocky Mountain News. Adolph Kors III, feared kidnapped. And the Denver Post. Adolph Adolph Kors III disappears. FBI in a search. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal You're taking away all the radio people things I can be saying. That was great. Ad's family was shocked along with the rest of the community. The Kors name was synonymous with Golden. The saying was, Kors was Golden and Golden was Kors. The kidnapping of such an important citizen was an affront to the entire city. Ad's father and mother flew home from Hawaii immediately after being informed of the situation. Adolph II contacted J. Edgar Hoover himself, head of the FBI, and demanded the FBI use all the resources at their disposal to ensure the return of his beloved son. J. Edgar assured the father that he would bring his son home safe. Adolph II stated to the press, I cannot be emotional about this. The crooks have something I want to buy. My son. The price is secondary. The FBI wasted no time launching their investigation. Codename, Cornap. You gotta be kidding me. Nope. Cornap. Cornap. That's pretty cool. They began by securing the crime scene. The car had been moved by the milkman, but they did recover a tan baseball cap and eyeglasses later determined to belong to Adcors, along with a fedora that did not belong to him. There was a blood stain on the seat of the travel all that I mentioned earlier, as well as blood on the bridge railing. Not a good sign, but at least there was no body, which led them to believe that he may still be alive. Next, they set about interviewing residents of the isolated Turkey Creek Canyon. It was about eight o'clock. Rosemary Stitt would later testify in the first district court of Colorado. Right after I sent my kids off to school, about 20 minutes after... First, it sounded like somebody hollered down at the bridge. I was sitting in front of my sewing machine by the window. It sounded like one or two words is all. 
It was two different people, I think. Then I heard a crackling noise like lightning striking a tree. I looked out the kitchen window to see if a tree fell down out back, but didn't see nothing. So it was then I got to thinking it might be a gunshot. Just one shot. Or it could have been two really close together. (laughs) Miss Pauline Moore, who lived with her husband, Cloyce, Cloyce, two and a half miles from Turkey Creek Bridge, told the FBI a similar story. Right around eight o'clock yesterday, I was hanging the wash on a clothesline out back. The wind was blowing real hard. I could barely get a clothespin on them. Then I heard a shot in the canyon real clear. I usually work on Tuesdays cleaning folks' houses in Denver, (laughs) but my boss called the night before and told me not to come in. The shot I heard was a far-off shot, not a close-up, but a far-off shot towards a bridge. There were many reports of a suspicious 1951. There's something wrong with me. What? That was good. (laughs) There were many reports of a suspicious 1951 Canary Yellow Mercury being parked near the bridge in the months prior to the kidnapping. It had also been spotted near the Coors Ranch. Luckily, one man named James Cable saw something that no one else had. When interviewed, he gave the FBI a clue so important that this case may not have been solved without it. He had remembered a partial license plate number. It was a 1960 Colorado-style plate. It read AT-62. It may have been AT-6205. He wasn't 100% sure on the last two numbers, but A is the county designation for Denver. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so with that... um, A beloved local might have done this? So with that kind of car and that license plate, you know, that's going to narrow it down. Around that time of day... And the milkman. Yeah, it's all coming together. And the bridge from Beetlejuice. It's not the bridge from Beetlejuice. It wasn't the bridge from Beetlejuice at all. <laughs> the FBI surmised that this was a kidnapping for ransom since of his, you know, his money. Yeah, his money. So they staked out the post office and recovered the ransom note addressed to Ad's wife, Mary. It read, and you want to read it? Mrs. Coors, your husband has been kidnapped. His car is by Turkey Creek. Call the police or FBI. He dies. Cooperate. He lives. Ransom. $200,000 in tens and $300,000 in twenties. There will be no negotiating. Bills. Used. Non-consecutive. Unrecorded. Unmarked. Warning. We will know if you call the police or record the serial numbers. Your directions, place money and this letter and envelope in one suitcase or bag. Have two men with a car ready to make the delivery. When all set, advertise a tractor for sale in Denver Post Section 69. Sign Ad King Ranch, Fort Loopton. Wait at NA9-4455 for instructions after ad appears. Deliver immediately after receiving call. Any delay will be regarded as a stall to set up a stakeout. Understand this. Adolf's life is in your hands. We have no desire to commit murder. All we want is that money. If you follow the instructions... He will be released unharmed within 48 hours after 
the money is received. That was great. Thank you so much for your dramatization. So this uh, seems like the person is trying to make it seem like there's more than one, like there's we instead of- Like a a group, an organized group of people that have planned this out. mm -hmm. And the whole $200,000 in tens and- Why? Like, I guess because he doesn't want big bills, but like, think about the logistics of getting that much money together. That's at least 40 bills. (laughs) <laughs> at least so you know maybe total, upwards of a hundred total this is five hundred thousand dollars which today is approximately 4.88 million so imagine 4.88 million in tens and twenties well it wouldn't be because it would have been fifty thousand five hundred thousand dollars in tens and twenties but i mean like that's what he wanted he wanted all tens and twenties so he wants the whole amount in tens and twenties he doesn't want any other bills i would say a smart man but and reading the letter it looked like it was somebody who was highly intelligent. Oh, well, he is. You think. He says he is. Well, I think he is, yeah, but well, I don't know the whole story. Well, you're going to find out. So, of course, this amount of money was no problem for them to come up with. They just had to get the right denominations. Yeah. This was a promising sign for Ad's wife as well as the FBI. I'm sure it was false hope. The FBI conducted a study of this letter, and the following is their report. The typist is experienced and made no errors in punctuation or spelling. Double spaces after a period, which is taught in typing schools, but does overuse colons and uses only one space after a colon rather than two as it is the approved practice in typing. The author is reasonably well-educated, writes well. The letter was typed with either a Hermes or Royalite portable typewriter. Both are sold extensively in the United States. The Royalite has been on the market for less than three years. It is an inexpensive machine sold in large drug and department stores. Inquiry was made at the Royal McBee Corporation, manufacturer of Royalite typewriters, to determine retail outlets in the Denver area that sell the Royalite and the serial numbers of typewriters shipped. A representative of the manufacturer advised that two businesses sell the Royalite portable typewriter. They are the Denver Dry Goods Company, 16th and California Streets, and the May... DNF Company, 16th and Tremont. This particular machine has a defect. The letter S is defectively applied. It is struck lower than all other type in the letter. The typewriting on the envelope and note were compared with those in the anonymous letter file and the National Fraudulent Checks file. No matches were realized. Okay, so I have a couple of thoughts on this. First, I know you're a big fan of vintage typewriters, so... You probably have both of these Hermes and a Royal Light. I actually don't have a Royal Light, but you do I have a Hermes. do have a Hermes. I know you do. You bought it for I me. I did. So that's pretty cool. Secondly, I found this uh, very sophisticated for 1960. I mean, I guess, you know. I'm a little lightheaded from what I just read. You did a great job. <laughs> so I appreciate I'll just agree it. With you. I appreciate that. And like the fact that they would notice such a small defect as yeah. the S being lower than the rest. You know, that's pretty cool. That Isn't that in some way tied to like how they've caught other serial killers though? They like have, a typewriter having a certain... They have, but I don't know it was prior to 1960. This is like groundbreaking, it seems like. And the fact that they have an anonymous letter file, a national fraudulent check file, I've never heard of that. Like I've heard of CODIS and APHIS. And no, I'm sure there's a lot of things you haven't lot. heard of that no, they have. But I know a lot of things, but I've never heard of the anonymous letter file and the national fraudulent checks file. That's pretty cool. So yeah, they were checking all their sources. Quick boys, take some pictures. <laughs> so, so at this point, 
they're looking for a typewriter with a defective letter S. And they have something to go on. And a 1951 uh, canary yellow Mercury sedan. Possibly covered in blood. <laughs> yes, look for blood boys. Meanwhile, Mary Kors placed the ad like she was told, and she gathered the ransom money and waited. But unfortunately, there was no follow-up call from the kidnapper. She did receive more than 50 more ransom notes, but they were all hoaxes. Why would people do that? They're just awful. People it are the happens worst. all the time with these things like people are kidnapped and they get all kinds of phone calls, psychics calling, people random just trying to tell you stuff. And you want to hold on, like you want to believe them because why would someone do that to you? You don't want to let go of the hope. Yeah, because at this point, they still feel like he's alive because the kidnapper wants the money and he's not going to get the money. Unless they get the. Well, yeah. Unless they get the man. Right. Who is obviously no longer with them. Well, yeah, unfortunately. I'm just guessing conjecturing. <laughs> the FBI was able to trace the car seen by James Cable to a Denver resident whose name was Walter Osborne, who had, up until recently, been working at a paint factory. They matched a fingerprint from this Walter Osborne to a driver's license application of that of a convicted murderer, Joseph Corbett Jr., who was age 31. Hmm. He had escaped from a California prison five years earlier. So Walter Osborne was an alias, obviously. Joseph Corbett Jr., who was just a junior, not a third. Maybe if he was a third, he might have Could taken have a different game a little might bit, have taken you know? a different turn in life, but he was just a junior. So. Yeah, no, come on, bro. Didn't even graduate from Cornell, I betcha. I didn't either. He was born in Seattle. He was the son of a newspaper editor, and he had an average upbringing. And he, according to himself, had an IQ of 148, which is highly intelligent. Watch this. How high of an IQ do you have? 148. See? I learned that from <laughs> Judge Marilyn Million. I think like genius is like 160. Well, then mine's 160. So he's like on the verge of genius. In his own words, In his too, words. which yeah. obviously we can't dispute that. Right. In 1950, he started showing uh, erratic behavior after his mother fell from a balcony and died. Six months later, he shot a man in the back. Some reports say it was a hitchhiker, and others say it was an Air Force sergeant. So I don't know. Pretty big discrepancy. But he did shoot someone. Somebody got shot. But he claimed it was self-defense. In and the back. I don't know how you shoot someone in the back, but I'm not a master criminal, so I don't know. But he pled self-defense. You've watched enough. True crime to know that when you shoot somebody in the back, it's not. I'm, I guess there might be a scenario where it could be self defense, but if they 99 turn percent yeah. of the time, you gunned them down. Well, the jury didn't believe him either. He was sentenced to life in prison, but Corbett decided to shorten his sentence <laughs> by walking out of a minimum security prison in 1955. It's probably just like, I got to go get some smokes, guys. Do hey, you want anything while I'm out? Hey, They're like, well, just make sure you come back before <laughs> lunchtime. He actually just put on normal clothes and walked out the door. So not a very maximum security prison. That's why I said it was minimum security. Yeah. <laughs> so he spent five years in prison, basically. What's well, time to go? Not long after this, a man named Walter Osborne showed up in Denver, Colorado. A few days after Adcors disappeared, the FBI showed up at the Denver apartment that was rented by Osborne, a.k.a. Corbett, but the landlord informed them that the unassuming tenant had taken off for Boulder, Colorado. Around the same time, the police in New Jersey found a smoldering, burnout car in an Atlantic City dump. It happened a to be... A canary yellow 1951 Mercury. Yeah, exactly it was. And it still had its serial number on it. 
and they were able to match this number to a car that was purchased by Corbett under his alias Osborne. I didn't see that one coming. See, I don't know about you, but if I was as smart as this guy claimed to be, I think I would have used a different car. If why, I was as smart as that guy claimed to be, why would you use a bright you leave yellow a car? It probably fell off scene. in the struggle and he ran. I don't yeah, think he threw it smart, there. You don't leave evidence like that behind. Probably not. Well, I guess back then well, it probably all, didn't make a big difference. Everybody wore a fedora. It might not have made a difference then, but now then they'd have DNA and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they didn't have DNA. On March 30th, Corbett was placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. He was now the most wanted man since mobster John Dillinger. Wow. Yeah. You know who he was. He was a gangster. He was. Do you know what he what he did? Shot people. Well, he robbed a lot of things and he killed, a police, he killed a police officer. I'm just assuming prohibition was yes, involved. Yes, it was during prohibition. Of course it was. This was the highest profile case since the Lindbergh baby kidnapping years earlier. It garnered national attention. It actually, this the reason the FBI was able to come in on this was because of what happened with the Lindbergh baby. If you're kidnapped for a ransom, becomes a federal crime. So the FBI can become involved. Oh, it really? Just mm -hmm. anybody? So if somebody gets kidnapped and somebody demands ransom, it can be an FBI-related thing? It can be. Is it necessarily always an FBI-related thing? Not always, thing? but if your name is but Coors, if your name is Coors or, Lindbergh, or Lindbergh. Yeah. Or literally, if you're a third. Yeah, if you are if you have a three after your name, like I... I the FBI's coming. You're, you're, you're solid. Everyone wanted to know what had become of the beloved heir to the Coors Brewery. Everyone in the town of Golden spoke highly of Adcors. His son later said of him, Everyone in town knew my father. He was just like grandpa and great-grandpa, a complete workaholic, a financial success, active in town, and respected by everyone. Unfortunately, as the spring turned to summer, there was still no sign of Adcors or Joseph Corbett Jr., despite a massive manhunt. Then, on September 11th, a pizza truck driver went out for some target practice near a dump in the Rocky Mountain foothills southwest of Denver. He came upon a pair of pants with a label that read, Expressly for Mr. A. Coors III. There was also a pen knife in the pocket with the inscription A.C. III. I'm thinking there's at least a 10% probability that these items may have belonged to someone in the Coors family. I, I think so. And like, how cool would it be to like have tags in your clothes that say expressly made for you? And like, so it's instead like, of who's going to go room? in his closet and be like, well, I'm going <laughs> to go get some pants out of Coors' closet. <laughs> and they'll be like, wait, nope. There's a tag in here that says expressly for the third. <laughs> Not the second, dad. Not the second. Get out of here, it grandpa. It might would come in handy. Like, that would just be cool. I like, can't you tell know you how, how often back then they so probably wore each other's pants. It's so high class, though, don't you think? I would, um, I tags just, sewn into your clothes that say it's made for you. Not just your name. Expressly. Like in kindergarten when they would write it on tags or, yeah. you know, towels <laughs> that we'd sleep on. Yeah. It's in your, <laughs> it's probably in his underwear, too. Yeah. Don't put on my boxer shorts. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm sorry. He was German. No, he's not so was, British. Don't put it on my boxer shorts. Well, this is like the third generation of Don't course. put it on my boxer shorts. Yeah, I don't think they had the German accent any longer. I'm known as the third. <laughs> when police arrived, they searched the area, and about 500 yards away, they found human bones from a man about six foot one, which was Coors height, and they found a skull. And dental records would later confirm the family's worst fears. Coors had been shot 
twice in the back, at close range. Corbett's picture was spread around the world through newspapers, magazines, and thousands of wanted-by-FBI posters. Someone in Toronto saw Corbett's picture in a Reader's Digest article, of all things, and told police that he looked very much like a former co-worker. The hunt moved north, but by the time the FBI got to Toronto, he had fled. It would be October 29th before the police would catch up with him in Vancouver, British Columbia. They were tipped off in part by another flashy vehicle. Apparently, he had a thing for cool cars. Had a thing for not being very intelligent for a very intelligent man. Yeah, he had rented a fire engine red Pontiac, the kind of car no one would miss. Yeah, I'm laying low. Yeah. I'm keeping it on the DL. Yeah, like standing How do you out. like my Firebird? <laughs> In the end, when they knocked on his door, there was no struggle. No, he just came to the door and said, I'm your man. You've been looking for me. Here I am. I gave up. think there's probably 0% chance that he was going to escape this based yeah. off of being around the world. And also, there's probably 0% chance he didn't get put in a chair. Oh, well, find out. Hold on. No one had actually seen him kill Adcors, right? Remember, no, there were no witnesses. All they heard uh, was this is true. All they heard was one gunshot, gun but maybe two gunshots. But it was way down in the holler. Mm-hmm. Coworkers told the police that they that Corbett had been boasting that he was planning something big, something that was going to make him a millionaire. So not only does he drive around flashy cars to be easy to spot, he also spills beans. Yeah. In a most non-covert way. And like I said, he had been stalking AdCores for nearly two years. He had planned everything meticulously. He had mailed the ransom note the morning of the kidnapping. What he didn't account for was AdCores fighting back. This never crossed his mind. He just really planned Thought to he would just him. say it was a gun and be like, okay, I'll do whatever right. you say. He really expected him to cooperate. He was going to take him into the woods and, ki- and camp until he got the you money. Think he was really not going to kill right. him. Right, yeah. I don't he really he, didn't plan on He wanted on the it. money, and he knew if he killed him, they weren't going to give him the money. So. Do you think that's why he didn't plan on killing him? Like, yeah. he probably would have had no issues Oh, killing yeah, him. I don't know that he had an issue with killing people. Obviously, he's killed someone before, but I think his plan was, if I kill this guy, I'm not going to get any money, which is what happened. So, yeah. he planned, like, to just go camp Seems out. Seems like if he was smart enough, he could have played it off like, yeah, he's still alive, but here's the new terms of the deal. Well, I think he knew immediately that the police were involved and he didn't want to get caught. So he, he just so got he went there. and bought him the first flat, <laughs> not even bought, rented <laughs> the first flashy car. Fine. <laughs> right. So remember that detailed report with the typewriter I do. that they used for the ransom note? Well, forensic scientists showed that the ransom note came from a typewriter Corbett had purchased. I would love to know how they did that. Well, they had the letter S that was lower than everything else. And that's probably all you needed at the time. So they found the typewriter. Yeah. And like, why would you not get rid of that? That like, drives me crazy when people commit these crimes. Like, I, I literally like, saw took something it with the you. other you fled day. And you took it with you, really? Yeah. I saw something the other day where a guy showed up at the courthouse wearing the hoodie mm-hmm. that he murdered the person. No, it was this, the shoes. The shoes. Wasn't it the shoes? still had the blood. Yes, they had it. blood on the shoes. And he was just coming in. He wasn't even arrested they or anything. They pretended like they just wanted to talk to him and wanted him. information. And he's literally wearing the stuff he killed the guy in. Mm-hmm. How can people be so stupid? Well, we're not criminal masterminds, Brad. This is the problem. I'm too smart for that. The star witness, however, was the yellow Mercury sedan. By examining dirt on the undercarriage, investigators drew a map of the car's journey. There were four layers of dirt, 
One contained dirt and particles matching those in Atlantic City, the dump where it was burned. But the others contained pink feldspar and granite, the kind of rocks and minerals found at the site where Core's body had been found and on the roads around the Core's ranch. So this is pretty, like, really... Sophisticated. Yeah, I was really impressed with this. That would impress me for now, let alone back then when they didn't have chromatographs and stuff. Well, I assume they didn't, but... I mean, that was really, really good work. You can tell they were really invested in this. Oh, he going to get punished. Now, tell me he got to serve, got off after five years in community service. I'm going to tell you what happened to him. On March 29th, 1961, he was found guilty of murder. No surprise. He was sentenced to life, but he was a model prisoner and therefore was paroled in 1980. Really? Really. So he spent 19 years in prison. 19 years in prison. Well, I mean, he was a good guy, probably, you know? Yeah. And after this, he took a job in Denver as a truck driver for the Salvation Army. He lived a quiet life. He would rarely speak of the case. He did do one interview in 1996, and he claimed that he was innocent, but he didn't want to get into it because he felt like it would just draw undue attention. You keep using all these facts, and they hurt my feelings, (laughs) and I don't want to talk about those things. He claimed that the FBI had framed him. Then, on August 24th, 2009, the body of 80-year-old Joseph Corbett was found in his apartment with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Hmm. He had lived there nearly secluded for 29 years. He had apparently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. His neighbors were shocked to learn that their quiet neighbor was a convicted murderer. And he killed the beer guy. I know. So that is the story of the tragic botched kidnapping murder of Adolf Herman Joseph Coors III. However, his sons and the rest of the family kept the company going and expanded it to the national brand we all know today. They were slightly successful in his absence. Yeah, back then it was more of a local thing and it kind of had a mystique on the East Coast, they say. Like like servicemen would always have to take cores overseas to their friends and and like if you came out to the East, you would always go, you would bring sort some Sort of like the you. way we do with Sundrop. Yes, yes. It's which just most of like our that. listeners probably won't even know what that is. Yes, it's exactly like Sundrop. So yeah, it was, a, but then it like went national. Just for your reference, if you don't know what we're talking about, Sundrop is a soda that we drink down here that is nothing like anything else I've we ever had before. We don't drink it here. We drink it in North well, Carolina. Well, it's not even in Savannah. It's from our it home here. state yeah. of North Carolina. In you can the get it in a very, few pe- in a very few places. But you can't get the cherry lemon, Mm-mm. which is they do the have, one you like the most. I have found regular Sundrop in a Walmart on Montgomery Crossroad. A few times, but other than that, you don't find it here. So whenever your parents come to visit, they have to bring us like a stockpile. They bring it for the kids too, because our kids love it. Yeah. And they just bring a big truck full. It's like bringing <laughs> cigarettes over the border yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. I think the Coors is sold and run by people outside the family today, but it's still a lasting legacy for the Coors family, although I'm still a Corona fan. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I told you at the beginning that there would be ghosts involved, so let's get to that. You remember Adolf Coors the first or Adolf Senior? I'm pretty familiar with Mr. Senior. Okay. Number one. Well, he died back in 1929, but the circumstances of his death are murky. He was suffering from a bad case of the flu, and his doctors ordered him to vacation in Virginia, believing that the change in climate would be good for him. Adolf and his wife checked into the fancy Cavalier Hotel. The Cavalier Hotel was a popular destination for the rich and famous in the 1920s and 30s. 
including F. Scott Fitzgerald, Bob Hope, Doris Day, Frank Sinatra. Oh, Blue Eyes. And even Al Capone. His associate. <laughs> so the hotel was nicknamed the Grand Dame of the Shore. So while Adolph Sr. was recuperating at the Cavalier, his wife said he woke up on the morning of June 5th, 1929, and went over to the window of their sixth floor suite. Without warning, he plunged onto the concrete below, dying instantly. No one knows if he stumbled or he jumped. Or if he was pushed. Yes, he could have been By pushed. By a ghost. <laughs> the Cavalier Hotel is actually home to many ghosts these days, and Adolph Kors seems to be one of them. Guests frequently see a figure falling from the sixth floor window. Some even hear the impact as a person appears to hit the ground below. However, when they rush over, there's no one there. Never is. Others also experience cold spots near the window where he fell. I wonder where this hotel is in Virginia. I mean, it might be an interesting place for us to go yeah. if it weren't, you know, for the fact that it's three states away. Yeah. Other ghosts of the Cavalier Hotel include a little girl and a cat who both drown in the pool. The ghost cat is seen wandering the halls, meowing for the little girl. There's also the ghost of a woman walking around with her ghost dog. The receptionists frequently receive phone calls from vacant rooms. The piano sometimes plays itself. This is another good spot to do the ghost of Mr. Chicken. <laughs> when the hotels close for a season, the elevators routinely run on their own. That's just good business. Some guests say that they leave their rooms for a while, and when they return, there are different colored towels in their bathrooms. Ghostmates still working. These just sound like customers at a place, and you could speak to this because you do a lot of cleaning professionally. Guests are just too picky. <laughs> yeah. You know, you want the colored towels that you had last time. Come the on. ghost is working very hard yeah, here. Like they're keeping it fresh. Come on. Don't act like you don't know. So, this place sounds like a place we should visit at some point Cavalier Hotel in Virginia. We're going to check it out because we can take that EVP that I haven't got to use yet. Yeah. I also found an account of a ghost story tied to Adolph Course the Third. On a curvy road on the edge of the foothills of Morrison, Colorado, you will find the bridge where Adolph Kors's grandson's decapitated body was discovered beneath. You didn't say anything about decapitated. Well, I don't think that he was decapitated by his kidnapper. I think it just animals and decay. Like he, it was seven months before they found him. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Then. He didn't decapitate him. He wasn't psychopath. The energy remaining from the tragic event reaches out to those who journey down the road and over the bridge, causing their vehicles to stall in the middle. If you dare venture outside of your vehicle, footsteps can be heard approaching. You may hear a raspy breath, as if someone is taking their last. Kors's angry spirit will often manifest, and he can be seen in an ethereal form on the side of the bridge. Terrified travelers will hurriedly restart their vehicles and speed off into the night. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure this one is just an. You herb. would sit there and oh, wait. No, no, I would stay. You would sit there would and wait. You'd be drinking a Corona in the car. I <laughs> say, here, Mr. Breaking Coors, so many check laws this out. This is so better. <laughs> this out, is literally. Check out this beer. <laughs> I have to beep it out if I say that. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure this one's just an urban legend because from what I've read. When I got to the decapitated part, I figured. Well, he what? They did find his skull separate. 
because it was seven months later when they found his body and animal activity. That's why they made a point of saying they found the skull, right. meaning it wasn't attached to other things. Right. Because, it, like I said, it was a long time. So, yeah, Which he was still, still in the elements. That would fit good into the story that came after because it's like, oh, yeah, well, he's definitely decapitated. Well, yeah. He's definitely Especially going over was. that Beetlejuice bridge. <laughs> But this bridge is no longer there. Remember, it fell into the river when they drove well, over. Well, that happened at the first of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So this bridge ain't there no more. So it can't possibly when be When the Maitlands true. went over the bridge. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So it's gone. But Beetlejuice had it in the little city map thing. Yeah. The bridge was still there. But it's not there. But you don't know that. But I know the Turkey Creek Bridge is not there anymore because they drove to it like this guy on this website. Oh, this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Website Wouldn't and happen to be Turkey Creek Jack Johnson now, would it? I was waiting for you to say that the whole time. ColoradoUrbanLegends.com. Oh, well, that's, I can't argue with that. Yeah. So this guy, he like was like, I'm going to find this bridge. I'm going to check this out. We should be doing travels to go try to check out things. Mm-hmm. Of- so it's not there. So it's just okay. Well, what you told me up. the the website, I was like, yeah, yeah it's just made up to scare people. He's he's definitely done the he's put the work in. Yeah, he did. He really did. He drove all the way out there. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Well, he probably lived nearby. I mean, if it was like, like forty minutes away from here, I still wouldn't go. But the closest I've ever been is Las Vegas, which is why I'm wearing this shirt. So I didn't have a Colorado shirt. Did you? Unless we have, um, only unless we landed in an airport. I don't think we did. Did we go to Denver? I think we did fly through Denver. We went to Denver. And you didn't buy a shirt specifically for this podcast. You had no idea you were going to write. I didn't. I do feel like we have been to Denver, but only in an airport. But Mm. I have been to Las Vegas, which is close enough. So this brings us to the part of our show where we like to insert the graphic here. What What we're we're watching. watching. So this week, Crystal surprised me and words came out of her mouth that I never thought I would hear her say. And they weren't. My, you're the most handsome and beautiful man on the planet. You are. You still haven't said them, though. You're the most handsome and beautiful man on the planet. And I have now a you have sultry that, now you vocal. Ha- are you, do you have an amazing voice? Mm. Everyone thinks so. Yeah, those people See, are crazy. now you have this recorded for all posterity. Yeah, I will play it back every chance I get. <laughs> okay. But the words that I am referring to are that she said she would like to watch the movie Top Gun. I did say Of that. all things. Granted, this isn't a horror movie, but I've loved it since I was a small kid. So we turned up on the streaming app, the 1986 action drama Top Gun, the original, not the new one. Yeah. She wants to go see the sequel in theaters, but she thought that she should see the original first. I had actually never seen it, amazingly, even though. At the theme park we used to go to at Carowinds when they were owned by Paramount, Mm -hmm. which made this movie. Well, I don't know if they made, well, they made this movie. I don't know about the new one. They had a ride called Top Gun. Yeah, I think it's now called Afterburn. And we Afterburn. would stand in line for an hour to ride that ride. It was great. I love that and ride. And they played the Top Gun anthem yes. the whole time. And it was yeah. literally like the most patriotic day of my life every time I did it. It was one of those roller coasters where you were like hanging from it. Yes, it yeah. was a suspended roller coaster. Yeah, I and, love that uh, one. You, one of my the, favorites. the tracks, it would hang under the tracks and you would mm-hmm. hang from the seats. And I like mm-hmm. those because it was uh, it was a relatively smooth ride. Yeah, Unlike the stand-up roller coaster they have called the, the Vortex, Vortex, which is one of the roughest metal coasters I've ever been I remember you I've having a hard time with that. It's especially bad for men. Yeah, I, I was like, what is going on here? I was yes, too young it, to know. Uh, it's, it's not good for men. <laughs> So the premise of this movie is that there is an exclusive school where only the best pilots 
go to try to prove who is the absolute best. And it's actually called the Fighter Weapons School, but everyone calls it Top Gun. Tom Cruise, yeah, Tom Cruise plays Maverick. I should call you Maverick because Brett Maverick. That's what I was named after. I know. A troubled but exceptional pilot. He and his co-pilot, Goose, played by Anthony Edwards. Who, fun fact, was Gilbert in Revenge of the Nerds, which I was very familiar with. That's a movie I haven't seen yet, so, so maybe next, we should watch next it. Next we're watching Revenge so of the Nerds. We're I talking could, about that, which will be very edited. We were talking about that over our four margaritas at Chili's. <laughs> We were. <laughs> That's what we should have talked oh, about the first yeah. of the episode. Oh, yeah. So, sidebar here. We went to Chili's the other night, and we uh, ordered a single margarita each. each. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so we are like, yes, I would like a frozen Sensible margarita, amount please. amount of margaritas yeah. for a person And he was like, um, the original, like the... the Regular, like yeah, that's that's yeah, what we frozen. Want. So we're sitting there, and he proceeds to bring us four frozen margaritas to the table. It's just the two of us. But I'm just staring at him. I know, and then Brett's like, um, "Exactly, why do we have four? And he's like, "Well, they're buy one get one free." I can't and we're like, "Well, you can't logic. argue with that." So nah, we proceeded so to we drink the four margaritas. margaritas. <laughs> Man, we've got serious issues. Well, it was it wasn't that alcoholic. <laughs> well, it was a ty- it was not a typey it's drink. It's not a Chatham County drink, no, even though not, it was in Chatham. It was County. not a typey drink. It was fine. Anyway. So, Goose <laughs> is played by Anthony Edwards, like you said, mm-hmm. who also apparently is in the Revenge of the Nerds movie. They Less. make it to the school, and they're up against the rest of the elite fighters in the United States, one of them being Iceman, played by none other than Doc Holliday. Well, he looked a lot better in this movie. Val Kilmer. Yes. I've actually seen this movie several times. But this was Crystal's first time. So, Crystal, what did you think of it? And what is your dog treat rating for this classic movie? I'm going to give it an 11. How out many of treats of that are because of Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer? Uh, ten and a half. That's what I figured. <laughs> the 80s baby in me loved this movie, even though I'm not technically an 80s baby. I was born in the Only 70s. by three or four days. Four days. But we're going to call it 80s. But I loved everything about this movie. It was, it was so, so 80s, 80s. And it didn't apologize for any of its 80s. Yes. And that's what I love about it. I haven't seen an 80s movie in a while that I had, like, one that I haven't seen before. Like, it's so, like, Dirty Dancing. And well, the, la- the most recent six- one that you saw. 16 Candles. Was Monster Squad. Oh, You've never seen that before. I loved that. But that's been a while, too. And I, we'll I need just, to review that one. Yeah, I just love 80s movies. So, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You said an 11? 11. It was everything you would want from an 80s movie. So, what are the three main things you liked about this movie? Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Val Kilmer. And, and what's the, third the song one? by Berlin. Ah, I made that too easy. I love that song. I made always, it far too you easy. You know that's my song. Okay. Well, Take I'm glad you enjoyed away. it. And you do. And you actually remind me of Tom Cruise. And your aunt has always said that about you. Wow, y'all are both crazy. <laughs> you have eyes like Tom Cruise. Do you mean like the Tom way Cruise. he looks or do you mean like how crazy he seems to be? Both. Okay. You have the eyes like Tom Cruise. Is it true? It is true. The glowing review, and I feel better about myself already. <laughs> I give this movie a 11 and a half. Oh, no. Out of 12. No, 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 no. I can give almost any 80s movie the score because they're all amazing. What about Dirty Dancing? Did you give it an 11 and a half? I actually Patrick really Swayze. liked Dirty Dancing. I know you did. Back to Top Gun and how you rated it a little bit higher than I did. 
Yes. So my three reasons for liking this movie okay. don't involve Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. You know, Kelly McGillis then? Not at all. <laughs> Number one, it's so full of testosterone yes. the entire movie that I, you just I like that. I, as a kid, it was like a boy. Everybody, everybody I knew wanted to be a fighter pilot yeah. for this movie. At least until we watched I the next the movie and decided we wanted to be like a you know a vampire or something, <laughs> which was a little bit later on in the nineties. Yeah, that's when an interview with a vampire. So that's number that. one. It's just so full of testosterone. Number two, the story doesn't drag to right. me. It, it's a pretty good. It keeps it moving forward. There isn't a lot of fluff. Yeah, there's no filler. Like you don't have to have this yeah. whole big drawn out long romance between them. It's just a Natural thing. I didn't buy that romance in that movie even then. I just didn't buy it. Did you? Not really. Like I'm not I, saying I, they I were thought bad it was acting, a little bit forced. Like it, it felt convenient. She felt like a woman of the eighties, not yeah. what we're used to. Not she'd yeah. have been like more the way she chases him down yeah. in her car is like, yeah. I think I followed for you. Yeah. And I'm like, this is so much what a man would think. Yeah. A man wrote this movie. Yeah, she's gonna I guarantee go, it. Yeah. <laughs> and my third reason that I love this movie is because Kenny Loggins. Oh, yes. Highway to the Danger Zone. That's literally all you need to know. Yes. Like I, I, I tweeted earlier. I said. He was in the shower earlier listening to that on the Kenny Alexa. Loggins was in the shower? Yeah. Wow. With and I you. missed him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenny hit me up. I, we have things to talk about. <laughs> So that brings us to the portion of our show that we like to call Layla, Layla and, and Coffee, Coffee Talk. Talk. Okay, Crystal. So we know it's been eventful for the dogs this week. So please tell us what happened. Yes, yeah, since they made quick work of their latest bark box, I was at Goodwill the other day. So I picked up a couple of cute little stuffed pigs. Mm, they they were, do love those. They were quite thrilled with them. Layla immediately took Coffee's pig when she wasn't looking. And then today we gave them to him again because we took them away so they wouldn't get too Yes, yeah, so I was feisty. sitting in my office and Layla was sitting in the floor crying and usually she doesn't do that. And then I looked at her and she was looking up and we had taken them from them and set them on top of my guitar cases so yeah. they couldn't get them. And she was crying at them. Yeah. So, of course, we gave it to them. And one of them apparently had little pellets all inside and now they're they all over the floor. Inside. Now they're all over your floor, which I had just vacuumed 10 minutes prior. That's why she wanted the toy. I know it is. I know it is. So, yeah, next part box, we'll see what they get. And remember, I got my mom a DNA test kit. Oh, this is news to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know this. I know. Uh, DNA test kit from Wisdom Panel, and we got the results back. Buddy Dog Brown. How much of him is, wait, what did I call him? A Pomeranian? Yeah. So, he's 12 years old, and there are 14 breeds detected in his DNA. Okay. I'm going to show you a little picture of him. He is 28% Chihuahua. Wow, he is more Chihuahua than Layla, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's more appropriately sized. Yeah. I never met this dog in he's person. He's small, but he's chunky. A little chunky. He's 21% Cocker Spaniel. That's yeah, the kind of dog your aunt Yeah, I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that we had one when I was a small child. He's 19% Pekingese. 6% Shih Tzu. <laughs> 6% what? <laughs> 4% American Hairless Terrier. Wow, aren't those those dogs that you it's see? Like really and they, like, they say looking. the ugliest dog in the world. Probably, but he's not ugly. He's cute. Four percent Boston Terrier, three percent Boykin Spaniel, Boykin, three percent toy or miniature poodle. That's like what coffee has in her. Three percent, two percent Dachshund, 
2% Toy Fox Terrier. Now they're just making stuff up. I know. Like this next one, I don't know what this is. 2% Lhasa, or is the L silent? Hasa Alpso? I think that's one of the Jedi I think it was. Or Obi-Wan, like we watched last night. I think they were in there. 2% Pomeranian, so you were very close. I was almost entirely accurate. Right. 2% German short-haired pointer. And 2% Bosnian. How you say this? Bosnian? I think it's a crustacean. (laughs) Bosnian. Okay, so we will have some pictures up of the different types of dogs and of Buddy. And you can see his little, how he's all mixed up. He's super cute. And I haven't met him in person, but hopefully oh, someday we dog. can get together. He liked me when I went to visit. He sort of just thought you were the alpha dog yes, he did. when you showed up. Yeah, he came right to me. That's what you said your mom was telling you. Yeah. And he's like, well, I guess you're in charge now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he listened to me. He was very sweet. So that brings us to the end of our episode. Did you, you enjoy that? I the story? Yes. I thought it was a great story. I appreciated the fact that uh, typewriters were involved. And I thought you would. And, and, I, and you got a chance to showcase your, your great voices. My, my sultry, dulcet tones. Yes. They're very hot. <laughs> I know everyone that listens to me talk thinks, man, this man is something else I bet in he this can, world. I bet he can sing a song. Maybe I lock them doors and turn them lights down low. <laughs> Is that how it goes? Uh, yeah, let's work on that. For okay, next yeah, time. this is why I don't sing. <laughs> you can find us online at scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms at the username at scarysavannah. If you would like to win a completely free coffee mug with the original logo or the Layla and Coffee Talk mug or our new shield design, which you can see on our website, or a t shirt in your choice of size and colors. All you have to do, we've even simplified it more now, mm-hmm. just go to our website, click on the giveaway tab, and all you have to do is just put your name and contact information on the form that we have. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to jump through hoops yeah, anymore. Yeah, you don't even have to know trivia. You don't even have to listen to our podcast. <laughs> you don't even have to listen To anymore. win merchandise <laughs> from our podcast. So just go in there, enter it, and let us know you're listening. We would ask you to please go on to your favorite podcast player. If you don't have a favorite podcast player... Go to our website. There's a tab that says reviews. If you click on that, it gives you options where you can go and leave us a review. We would love for you to leave us a five-star review because it helps us to be found on various platforms. The more reviews, the more you come up in these searches. And even if it didn't, it just, it would mean a lot to us to see that people are appreciating the content that we're creating and that you are enjoying what we're bringing to you and the stories that we have worked so hard on because Crystal worked quite a long time on this script. And I'm very proud of her for not only featuring the voice talents of (laughs) R.B. Lay, but somehow finding a way to fit a picture of a Pomeranian dog into my screen (laughs) that is actually 2% Benji. Benji? Benji. I bet most of our listeners are too young to know what Benji is. Do you know what Benji is? It's okay. a dog. It's a dog. <laughs> I know it's a dog. Come on. Of course I know it's a dog. And also, I put a new design on our merchandise store. It's a new retro-looking shield, very guitar pick-like. I think it's really cool. You go to our, st- uh, our website and click on the store tab. You'll see it under the shirts and the coffee mugs. Check that out. Have you ordered something yet? I haven't ordered it yet, but I'm going to order myself <laughs> a couple here in a little bit. I knew you were. So I think that's going to about do it, except for that one last little thing. Join us next time in Savannah, where the ghosts and the good times live on.
But you know who don't? Joseph Corbett Jr., thank goodness. Joseph Corbett Jr. (laughs) Joseph Corbett Jr. Corbett Jr. He was a bad guy. He ruined... He ruined beer. He ruined beer. This is why you drink Corona. Yeah, this is exactly why I drink Corona. I think I'll go to Golden Colorado (laughs) right now. I think it's... Let's go! (laughs) 